0: Jesuits of Canada and the United States, this is AMDG, and I'm Eric Clayton. There's a series of Star Wars books called From a Certain Point of View. Two have been released to date, each to celebrate the 40th anniversary of Star Wars A New Hope and Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back, respectively. Each book contains 40 short stories from 40 different authors, assuming the perspective of 40 different minor characters from the classic films. The whole idea is to give readers a new glimpse into an old story, to retell that classic tale from a certain point of view. The Ignatian year, this anniversary celebration of St. Ignatius's conversion in which we find ourselves, invites us to see all things new in Christ. We're invited to contemplate St. Ignatius' story in new ways, to look upon his conversion and his legacy with the eyes of Christ and then to turn that same gaze on ourselves, our own lives. How is Christ using Ignatius's story to inform and inspire our own? For those of you who have read St. Ignatius's autobiography, you know that the pages are full of minor characters, women and men who cross Ignatius's path ever so briefly, and yet leave behind a profound impact. Here at the Jesuit conference, we thought one way to consider Ignatius's story anew would be to explore the perspectives of these other characters. How they saw Ignatius, what they were thinking about as they encountered the saint. It's still the story of St. Ignatius from a certain point of view. And so we invited authors to submit their stories. And today I'm really excited to share the work of two authors and my conversations with them. The first of our authors is Ryan Carroll, a Ph.D. student in English and Comparative Literature at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. He's a longtime enthusiast of Ignatian spirituality, having first become involved through the Ignatian Spirituality Ministry at Holy Trinity Catholic Church in Washington, D.C. His story is titled The Pilgrim's Book, and it's an extended meditation on the life of the book itself, the book that stirred Ignatius' own conversion. Our second author is John Dougherty. He's a Catholic writer and campus minister with over a decade of experience in Jesuit education. His work has appeared in America Magazine and Millennial Journal. He lives in New Jersey with his wife and children. His story, The Provincial and the Pilgrim, puts us in the shoes of the Franciscan friar responsible for turning Ignatius away when the would-be saint sought to live and work in Jerusalem. Both stories are beautiful opportunities to pray with the story of St. Ignatius, to see all things new in Christ. You can read these stories at jesuits.org slash pilgrimstories, or click on the link in the notes. And if you're interested in submitting a story, stay tuned, we'll be reopening submissions in the near future. Now, here are my conversations with Ryan and John. All right, Ryan Carroll, welcome to AMDG. Good to have you with us today.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. very long-time listener, first-time caller. So I'm <laughs> glad to be
0: here. Perfect. Perfect. Well, hey, I'm really excited to talk to you. Um, you uh, submitted a, a really excellent piece to our uh, Pilgrim Story uh, uh, kind of storytelling competition or, or initiative um, uh, called The Pilgrim's Book. And I, I'm excited to hear uh, just to kind of unpack it with you and, and talk through it. But before we dive into to, to the story you wrote, I would like to hear a little bit about, about you. So why don't you tell us a little about yourself, what you do and, and maybe how that connects to uh, your, your writing life.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um so right now I am in the, the beginning of August right now. I'm about to start in about 10 days as a PhD student at UNC Chapel Hill. Um currently residing in Durham, North Carolina in anticipation of that. Um and uh going to be a PhD in English and um in English and comparative literature. And um funnily enough it wasn't something that uh doesn't doesn't usually dovetail creative writing in with it. It's just something I kind of like to do as a hobby from time to time, especially when something kind of draws my, or really catches my imagination or like draws my enthusiasm. And I'd actually wanted to write um, something about St. Ignatius for a long time, uh, because he's always been my favorite saint and a really big, important part of my life. And I've thought about poetry or about short stories, but I've never really known what to do because nothing felt exactly right. And so when this kind of came up, I was felt really kind of inspired to do something. I was drawn to this. I have this kind of background in Ignatian spirituality a bit, um, a lot of time researching and writing about um, literature and kind of Catholic spirituality. I wrote my senior thesis on sacramentality and like the sacramental principle in uh, 20th century literature. Um, And so it's always been a very, I've always really seen those that connective tissue there. And so this is sort of like the really the opportunity that I was really glad to have because it could kind of like bring it all to the forefront and actually release whatever it was that basically all of the thoughts that I've had bubbling up um, in my head for like years are sort of what came out in this story. And I was really glad to be able to to share it.
0: That's awesome, and it it sounds like there's a really uh, like I know you said you know writing is is maybe kind of on the side to what you're studying um, you know formally, but I think that uh, the sign of someone who who writes and and wants to write and has is that is that need to to say something, need to write like it's as you said, bubbling up, and um, and it sounds like the fruits of a lot of things you're studying. You've you've alluded to uh, your, your familiarity with Ignatian spirituality. Can you tell us a little bit about? Um, A little more about that. Where did you encounter St. Ignatius at first or or where did you first encounter Ignatian spirituality writ large?
1: Yeah. So funnily enough, um, I can tell you first the funny places I did not encounter it. I didn't encounter it (laughs) uh, with from my grand one of my grandparents who went to Georgetown and I didn't encounter it from my mom, my dad or my three uncles and aunts who all went to Loyola College in Maryland, which was Loyola College at that time. So despite my very uh, rich Jesuit educated background uh, in my family, that was not where it came from. Uh, So that was, (laughs) so that's kind of the, the first like funny, very fitting circuitous step. I started getting into Ignatian spirituality, I think as I was getting, I think more, actively interested in Catholicism and my spiritual life in general, towards the end of, or towards the beginning of my time in college. Um, And I had a friend who I think the the kind of first step, and it's so very, I think, fitting and like modern, was that I had a friend who followed Father James Martin on Twitter. And so his tweets would sometimes show up on my like timeline. And then I came to follow him, read like several of his books, and then listen to his podcast on the Examine. Um, which was really like something that a really nourishing practice for me, even as I was dipping in. And so at that time, I was kind of it was a pretty casual involvement. It didn't dominate a lot of my life, but I think this really big transformative moment happened for me when, in my sophomore or junior year of college, on a whim, um, I saw that when I was looking up this list of LGBT friendly parishes in throughout the U.S., I saw that there was one right near me. Um, I went to college in D.C. Um, at george washington university and um holy trinity catholic church uh is like the jesuit parish in dc and they uh, were listed as that and they also offered Ign- ignatian spirituality retreats and i'd always been kind of interested so i signed up again i think it was like late one night i was kind of i was almost dared to do it by a friend because i was like ah, i don't know if i want to do this if i'm like i might have too much class or whatever and my friend was like uh, you sound like a coward, so you should do it. And I was like, well, good point. (laughs) I signed up. And, uh, so then I went and, um, I think this moment where it really slid into place, my kind of like almost Cardiner-esque moment was in the first, um, the first kind of, uh, opening session of the retreat, we were guided through a, what we'd be doing, which is kind of a um, imaginative Ignatian contemplation and imagination with scripture, composition of place and that sort of thing. And we went through a passage of the gospels. That's now one of my favorites, which is when Jesus walks on water and pulls St. Peter, or pulls Peter out of the water when he's kind of, um, sinking. And it was so moving because like, as I was walking in to this retreat and even, excuse me. Even in that moment, I really felt like almost ambivalent about God being with me. Like I was like, well, maybe I won't be directly praying to God. I'll just be kind of contemplating my life in general. And that passage was so moving because the message that I got from it was Jesus reaching out to me and saying, basically, I'm not going to let you go, even when you think you're sinking. Mm. You have answered, you know, you answer a call and I'm not going to let you go. And it was such a moving moment for me. And it hit me on all the kind of emotional levels that Ignatian spirituality deals in. And so from from there, um, I finished. I did more retreats there. I became involved with a spiritual director. I did pretty much any class related to religion that I took in college. My final paper was on something related to Jesuits or Ignatian spirituality. So I wrote about, like, I wrote about the concept of Ignatian spirituality. I wrote about Jesuits in Japan. I wrote about uh, Ignacio Yacaria, who's a big influence on me. And so um, that was sort of where it all happened for me. And I really, <clears throat> I was thinking about it beforehand, how fitting it was that, you know, I always, Ignatian spirituality really nourished in me this love for Peter as the figure in the gospels as this broken figure who Jesus always reaches out to and calls specifically by name. And I think it's really a sentiment that you see reflected in, in my story and what I wrote. That's, it was like, I'm sure we'll talk about this in a sec, but it's kind of a defining like fixture
0: of my spirituality and Catholic spirituality to me. I, I was going to ask, do, do you find particularly with this story, but maybe in general that writing for you is a form of prayer?
1: Oh yeah. I mean, I think that, You know, it's something I come to when I'm in contemplative prayer, um, and I try to, I'm always sort of exploring new modalities of like what to do in Ignatian spirituality, but in Ignatian prayer, and one of the things that I've been kind of um, directed to do recently by my director is try on um, feeling through the small emotions that I feel, or like the, the sort of fleeting stuff, not, the stuff not embedded in the, like, what you'd write in a log of your day but like in the in the in the experiential side of things and i always come to writing as this form where i really find myself in touch with with the the big divine mystery like it's where i feel full and filled with consolation and like substance if that, you know if for lack of a better word like i feel in touch with the really real and so in that way like it's really it is a very very meaningful form of like unconscious prayer to me.
0: That's beautiful. And I mean, just your description of, of your of your encounter with scripture and, and Peter, uh, you know, kind of you know, being the, playing the part of Peter. I imagine that again, that kind of Ignatian imaginative prayer, uh, you know, as your the ability to write it then and, and to, to really project it and invite other people into that uh, through your own storytelling. I, I, um, so I think one of the things that I really liked about your story uh, is is that, you know, there's this kind of moment in Ignatius' life, you know, we all know it, oh, he gets hit with the cannonball and, you know, he's, he's you know, reclining and then, you know, he, uh, there's some books there and like, oh, he, you know, he discovers Christ and and he's off to the races. And we're like, all right, when's the conversion going to happen? Um, I think for, for those of us who are, you know, kind of used to the story, uh, it happens quickly. We know it's coming. We're like, all right, like, good, good, good. Like what, what happens next? Let's get to the founding of the Jesuits. Um, but, but you, your, your story really, demands that we sit in that moment um and, and uh, it just kind of unpacks it through space and time uh which i think is which is just brilliantly done so i can you talk a little bit about um about your story in general but but how you decided on the on the perspective that you did uh and 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 the process that went into it
1: yeah so um my story in case that you're listening and you are just listening to hear uh, our voices uh, b- before or you know whatever um i wrote my book from the perspective of the book that or i wrote my story excuse me from the perspective of the book that uh saint ignatius read when he was in his um convalescence in uh, loyola and it was called Uh, The Vita Christi, The Life of Christ, and there's a much longer title um, that I, it's at the beginning of the book. Um, It's in Latin and et cetera, et cetera. Um, But I kind of do that starting from this moment when the book is breathed with life, like the book comes alive. It has a consciousness. Um, I'm really influenced by like magical realism. It's one of my, it's my favorite genre of writing. And it's really there where it's just the book as a matter of fact is alive and it has a soul um, that is given to it by being written. And, um, you know, I have a whole suite of influences there which we can talk about. But basically one of the reasons that I kind of found it to be so moving was not only was it this moment where Ignatius who's such a, he's such a textual saint, you know, like, unlike um unlike other saints who are uh enshrined largely in what we know about them or in folk tales about them, like what Ignatius gave in addition to his actions was his writing and it wasn't fiction it was his writing and really his reading he's a very like he's a textual saint for a very textual age in the world um coming around like sort of in this era when the printing press was like being developed and so um anyway uh <laughs> digression. But, um, I think what really drew me to that moment with the book was this idea that Ignatian spirituality holds as it's like foundational principle that God is in all things, reaching us, um, freely present, reaching out to us in ways that we can and can't hear, um, at different times. And so I thought, you know, well, obviously Ignatius's experience of God and all things, like God was in all things before Ignatius said he was. And God was there guiding Saint Ignatius before he knew it and before he even began to consciously know it. And so I was really drawn to this idea of Ignatius as this figure that God was reaching in moments that were completely unexpected and moments that were really low and, and weak for him, moments where he kind of had seemingly failed, which is kind of another important theme I felt um, this idea that, uh, he was this broken man. He had had one vocation in his life, which is to be a soldier. And he lost it because he, he like his leg was destroyed. And so it kind of was like, what did the, how did God reach him there? And, And to me, that was in the form of a book, um, which reaches someone in the same way in, or God reaches someone through a book in the same way that God might reach someone through a person. So that was sort of the the defining, or the my starting point. Um, that's a very long answer to uh, to your question, <laughs> but yeah, that was sort
0: of the core of it. No, it's, it's perfect. I, I mean, I, I, and the the way that you approach, and, and maybe this comes from uh, um, uh, someone else or or one of the influences you you alluded to, but I, I really liked how you talked about kind of the the birth of the book um and then the duplicate again like this moment of like i guess the printing press wasn't in existence quite yet but but kind of the duplication of books and then the way that books um like like the original book would feel when another book is produced kind of um that that references back i i i, I was i was like entranced by that so how maybe you could do a better job of explaining what i try to do there and then talk a little bit about how you came to that uh idea of 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 the life of a book the life and legacy of a book
1: yeah no um i think that's i mean that i i'm glad that you felt so i'm glad that it really fired that up for you because i feel like for me it was like oh well, of course i need to include like how the book how why how, what you make of the book's life when it has multiple copies of it <laughs> but um i think for me it as i think on it that influence really comes in the amount of time i've spent studying literature i kind of alluded to i had written my senior thesis kind of extensively in college on ignatians well on spirituality catholic spirituality sacramentality and <clears throat> texts reading and the reading process so it was very kind of theory heavy um but the basic or one of the basic ideas is like kind of trying to conceptualize like what is a text something that's so strange and it's so hard to describe to me without eventually going into language that is very spiritual in nature and so to me like a text is almost like a soul unto itself in, in a kind of saint francis uh saint Francis' way of viewing like the whole world is being kind of animated by god's by god's li- love and life um, or Gerard Manley Hopkins, another influence of mine, who thought that each thing in its in its unique specificity, had been enlivened by the Spirit of God, and that its specificity disclosed God. And so I think what drew me to this way that the life of a book is incarnated in but also beyond its pages is the idea of like a sacrament where uh, everyone all over the world, millions of people every day, <laughs> receives communion receives the same sacrament. Jesus, the same person, is there, present, really present in everywhere. And yet it it's the same Jesus in multiple kind of forms and bodies in in a wafer or more kind of broadly in in all things, literally, you know, in all Christ plays in ten thousand places, as the Hopkins poem goes. And um so to me that was sort of like what is the microcosm of that? And that's the a book a text which is this spirit this kind of thing that is only describable in terms of ideas that lives in one way in one form um that you hold it's incarnated there but it's also kind of it has bodies elsewhere but it's the same spirit that you're encountering that to me is like kind of a very essential part of the reading process and of what it is to read. I was really influenced by like modernist poetry, um, poetry that is very ambiguous and is never really resolved um, in what it means. But we collectively engage in this ongoing revelation of meaning, to put it in Catholic language, of what the the spirit, the gestalt of this thing is, um, and. That happens no matter what copy physically of the book you're holding or whatever it is. Um, Again, this is like it's getting into a very mystical turf, but like that's sort of where I where I drew that from. Um, This idea that a book has this multiplicity and, and multifariousness, and yet that huge spirit that is too big for one body also inhabits singular bodies.
0: Yeah, I'm it is getting very mystical and I and I like it. And I think it alludes it doesn't allude to I think you're you're naming um another facet of of St. Ignatius' life and, and legacy, right? Like you know, we we've had people on the podcast in, you know in the past that kind of come at Ignatius from different perspectives and say, you know, Ignatius was, um, as you said, like, you know, he, he was a great administrator. You know, he he, he was able to manage this, this kind of, you know, burgeoning, uh, you know, multinational organization. Or you have Ignatius, um, you know, who, who the, the failed soldier almost, you might say. And um, But Ignatius the mystic too is, is another uh, way to think about him and these various mystical experiences that uh, he had and that, that play directly into the founding um, and sustenance of the Society of Jesus. You know, I I was struck by the way you approached Ignatius. Uh, obviously, Ignatius is central to the story, and yet uh, not in your story, right? And, and uh, he 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 struck me as as very quiet in your story. I think he only has one or two lines, but um, you know, you have in your mind this kind of boisterous uh, soldier, and in your story, he's very he's very quiet, and that was I found that very moving. I, I wonder, if, as the author, did you? Did you learn something new or, or what what new insight did you gain into St Ignatius from from your own your own work on this? yeah
1: so I think you know one of the reasons funnily enough that I approached Ignatius this way as this sort of the stories about him and yet he's almost um, he's this like spectral presence he's always there but it's it's kind of you can't really get all the way into him except for this one moment when or these two moments when the, when he, he reads the book and the book stares into his soul. This moment of kind of encounter, which is really drawn from, I think, the way that like Pope Francis talked about encounter, or the uh, theologians I like. But you know, I think that the uh, reason I did that was basically because I was like, well, this feels like such an impossible task to write a person, like St. Ignatius's perspective, um, because he is the guy. Like the more it's kind of like like one of those like spots that swims around in your vision. The more you try to focus on it, the more it it goes away. Again, this is a big like modernism influence for me. Um, and so kind of the, what I really found in the course of writing this was Ignatius's sort of sense of fail or his his own perception of his failed purpose. You know, I think I'm a person who's really interested in Catholicism, um, Christianity in general, but Catholic spirituality specifically as being the spirituality of the screw-ups. And the broken, uh, it's not, this is a moment that was very important for me in my, in my own spiritual life, um, that God doesn't reach us or speak through us by cleansing us of our imperfection. God meets us in our imperfection. It's everything about us that is wrong or broken or flawed is exactly where God chooses to speak from. And that says something about what God is and who God loves that God does that. Um, God doesn't make the, uh, poor in the gospels rich in the way that, you know, a millionaire is, or he doesn't elevate the poor to the status of, of the wealthy. He takes those who are, uh, he makes them spiritually rich as Pope Francis, I believe also said, I was researching this cause it was a big influence on me, the feast of St. Peter and Paul a few years ago, talking about them as saints, he says, God rarely does little with people who think themselves mighty but he does much with people who know themselves meek and uh that sort of is a new thing i saw in saint ignatius this idea that like it wasn't just him turning from like like a world of sin you know as as maybe an older narrative might go or more traditional narrative but for me he's someone who lost everything that it was to be himself he was in a place where he was like well like I had one job and I failed, like God has done, I have, God has no more plans for me. And so to see that and see in Ignatius, this person who is this evidently like very, very uh, uh, astute and, and like Spartan leader who is very demanding. Um, and to see that weakness and tenderness in him is very beautiful to me, especially when he doesn't leave behind or his most popular writings aren't the ones with his emotional voice. They're the ones where he writes instructions. So seeing that really tender human side of him was really what I loved inhabiting the side of Ignatius that wasn't a leader, but was a follower and someone who knew himself broken.
0: Yeah, that's well said. Very powerful. Um, Last. Uh, last question. Just, you know, I, I you've, you've alluded again to, to your various things that have been, you've been thinking about and have been affecting uh, your, your writing and, 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 uh, and reading. Um, what would you advise or what would you recommend right now? Uh, one book uh, or, or maybe author in the Ignatian spirituality realm and and one piece of fiction that you think uh, is, is particularly poignant uh, in your life right now.
1: Uh oh, that's so hard to find just one. I think that for Ignatian spirituality, um, I mean, my favorite is is James Martin. Um, the Jesuit Guide to Almost Everything was is very is a book I recommend for people who want to sort of understand my spiritual sort of perspective. Um, and then, kind of, a, I'll cheat and do like one and a half. If you have like philosophical chops, if you feel like confident about reading like deep, kind of hard to read but really valuable stuff, I really recommend Ignacio Yacaria. Um, He's one of the Jesuit martyrs of El Salvador. He's a very foundational liberation theologian, and he's one of the most important kind of figures in my spiritual development in terms of what he says about God's relationship with the crucified, the broken, and what rebirth looks like, what salvation looks like, and how that is very political. So James Martin and quietly in a whisper voice, Ignacio (laughs) Yachtaria, for for the Ignatian spirituality side I was quiet so it's okay and then for fiction that is kind of at the moment grabbing me um you know I'll say uh I'll also cheat and do two because I like to be Baroque and go loud and I'll be quick I'll bundle them <laughs> together two books that are actually if you like my story then the, you'll find the same techniques and ideas and stuff like that in these books one is called Sing, Unburied, Sing by Jesmyn Ward. Um, it is a story, they're both, um, the two books I'm going to mention are both by um, Black American women kind of working in a very specific Black American magical realist sort of tradition that like relates to Toni Morrison and Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Um, Sing, Unburied, Sing is this multi-generational story of a mixed race family in South Mississippi and uh, a ghost that begins kind of haunting them that's related to um a boy that was related to the family who died like generations before um has the same sort of temporal stuff that i like dealing with the other book that i just finished and i can't recommend highly enough is called um, creatures of passage by Moroa Yajide. it is very new it came out this year and uh, if you live in dc you might have a hard time finding it i was like 12th in line at the library but as soon as i moved to north carolina it was right there It's called Creatures of Passage. It is similarly draws from this like black American syncretism of like Catholicism, um, West African religion and Caribbean religious traditions, um, and takes this view of a, a, like a, a lot of stuff. It's very panoramic about DC in the late seventies. Um, it's about a woman who drives a car with a ghost in it. She ferries people back and forth. It's about uh, a ghost that her grandson or her great nephew meets. It's about uh, death, the afterlife, remembrance, passage, futurity. Um, it's a beautiful book and it's the most, one of the most beautifully, uh, just amazing books I've read in so long. Um, so highly recommend Creatures of Passage by Mora Yejide
0: nice good recommendations and much more um deep and philosophical than uh if you'd asked me i would have probably just uh, i think i've just any number of star wars novels is what i am uh, <laughs> I currently like this, always reading just so. as much. I, those are the next up on my recommendation list good answer good answer at book number three <laughs> all right ryan well thank you so much for uh, for being with us today and we're looking forward to uh, reading more of your stuff yeah thanks so much for having me Thanks to Ryan Carroll for sharing his reflections and his writing with us today. Now we turn to another Ignatian author, John Dougherty. Here's my conversation. Welcome, thank you uh, for coming to talk to us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Looking forward to it. So um, before we dive into your story submission for our Pilgrim Story uh, Initiative, uh, let's hear a little bit about you. About uh, you know, Tell us about the author. Sure, sure.
2: So uh, my name is John Uh I am a husband, uh, father of two kids. I live up in North Jersey. Uh, I'm the director of campus ministry at St. Peter's Prep, uh, Jesuit high school in, in New Jersey, actually the only Jesuit high school in the state. Uh, and I'm also a writer. Uh, it's something I've been doing since I was young. Uh, I've had uh, a few pieces appear over Amer- America magazine, some essays and reviews. Uh, but this will actually be the first piece of fiction that I've had published, uh, which is a, a big deal for me because that's really my passion. Uh, that's yeah. what, uh, what I love writing and uh, what kind of gets me the most excited. Um, so, uh, you know, as, as a kid, I, was, I always dreamed about being uh, a published novelist and having a book on the shelf. And it's a dream I still hold on to, even though I'm obviously in a, a different line of work now. Um, so
0: this is, uh, this is very humbling and very uh, very affirming at the same time. I always love to talk to writers about the role writing plays in their own spiritual life. Um, so obviously, you know, you're uh, uh, out you're of Jesuit school now. You've, you've, you're a graduate of Jesuit uh, education. Um, you know, I wonder, is, is there a way that you uh, kind of connect Ignatian spirituality or just your own, your own faith life um, to, to the, the written word?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, back when I was really kind of starting to puzzle out, Uh, A lot of the nuances of my relationship with God and what that was going to mean, kind of moving into the adult world. So this is, this is college we're talking about. Uh, I started journaling daily and I hadn't done that before. Um, And that was, that was very important to me to be able to sit down and to Take everything I was feeling and everything that was kind of, you know, this this soup of emotion and confusion and joy and all this good stuff and try to distill it down into words, because uh, words were something I felt like I had some um, some sense of control over or kind of make things make sense. Um, and, uh, and, and over time that journal turned into, uh, you know, it, it started kind of implicitly and then eventually became explicitly conversations with God. Uh, I started realizing that I was kind of narrating my day to God through the journal. Um, and, and at that point in my life, that really helped me to, uh, I think process and, and, uh, figure out a lot of important stuff. Um, it's not something that, uh, that I've been able to kind of maintain in my adult life, uh, because at the end of the day. Uh, I fall asleep,
0: um, <laughs> I <you> <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, uh,
2: today I would say I, you know, I, I lead retreats and run retreats regularly. So I do a lot of writing there. Um, but even in fiction, I try to, uh, uh, a little bit more indirectly, uh, take the feelings and the thoughts and, uh, channel them into whatever it is I'm creating. I think there's, there's a little bit of, uh, you know, whatever I'm currently, either fascinated by or wrestling with in my faith and whatever I'm writing that tends to be a, a big motivator for me creatively.
0: Do you um, do you find that kind of working through fiction helps you uh, understand or come to some new conclusion uh, that then is applied to your you know, very nonfiction life? Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Uh, I think, uh, especially, you know, fiction, I think is is
2: wonderful for creating empathy, uh, to kind of put you in the head of somebody else. And so trying to, a lot of things I think um, interest me are things that confuse me, things that uh, I have trouble kind of wrapping my head around from my own experience. And so trying to write through that, you um, has in in the past, in the best of times, uh, helped me to kind of understand others a bit more, uh, either through like the process of researching to try to get the story right, or just trying to put myself in somebody else's shoes, uh, kind of understand how they're how they're approaching things in terms of their faith and their relationship with God, um, and even just ha- having you know characters have to come to conclusions about things, or uh, uh, even having characters have to you know get to a point more often than not where they're comfortable with the ambiguity of things and the paradox of, of uh, faith and of God uh, is helpful to me to kind of, you know, feel like, okay, that's, that's something I would like to be able to do as well.
0: I love that idea uh, of, of both fostering empathy and then being okay with paradox. And I wonder if that's something uh, as a campus minister that you're helping young people to do. And I wonder also, do you help them to do that through writing ever? Is there ever kind of that, like, this is, this is a good outlet for you?
2: Sure. Uh, I definitely always encourage you on the retreats. Uh, each retreat has, you know, uh, uh times of silence and times where there's reflection and, uh, both, uh, honestly both retreats and our service programs, uh, there'll be times where I'll say like, you know, you have journals, I gave you all journals and pens, like sit down and actually put something down. Um, you know, it's it's going to be easy for you just to do some bullet points, but, uh, it can be really helpful to take everything that you're thinking about, everything you're trying to put together and like, try to get it down there on the page. Um, and I think that uh, on retreats in particular, uh, we that that's where the the empathy work really happens, uh, where, where these kids are kind of, you know, reflecting on their own life stories and kind of uh, coming to a, a sense of acceptance of their own life story. Uh, all the things that like, you know, they, they might wanna hide from or avoid uh, holding that up and saying, well, you know, this is part of me too. And then looking around at everybody else and saying, oh my God, like everybody else is kind of dealing with a lot of the same things I'm dealing with. I'm not alone in these struggles. Um, this person who I thought was extremely annoying actually has a lot of the same fears that I have. This person who I thought had it all together is like dealing with a lot of the same issues I have. Um, that sense that, you know, we are, we are all in here together, uh, that we kind of be, you know, ideally more patient and more loving with each other. Um, so I, I do think the writing, uh, has, has a role in that. Um, anybody who's been on the Kairos retreat, uh, knows that like writing, uh, uh, the written word has a, has a special role in that retreat. I'm not going to get into that too much, uh, because of spoilers. Uh, but, you know, if you've been on Kairos, I think, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, yes. <laughs> I think there's something powerful about that, you know, I, I think it, uh, it, it helps to have something, uh, either to write something down, to put it into words or to see it put into words about you, uh, I think can, can make something feel more true.
0: Yeah. So obviously, the, the story that we'll talk about in just a moment um, is, uh, you know, about St. Ignatius in many ways is, is a you know, Ignatian spirituality is right there on the page. But I wonder for you in your other writing endeavors, um, do you do you find Ignatian spirituality informing it in a, a very intentional way uh, or, or, uh, or is there a different uh, kind of spiritual influence you find uh, as you're working in your own writing?
2: Uh, I would, I would say Ignatian spirituality is very, very, uh, present, uh, and very important in kind of my, my own writing, both in terms of, um, well, we talked about the empathy piece already and that idea of contemplation, kind of putting yourself in, um, in somebody else's shoes and somebody else's story. Uh, but also that idea of, uh, of discernment and kind of the, the many kind of rich, uh, uh ideas of discernment that are in Ignatian spirituality. That's something that I, I have found is, uh, both something that, that thematically I find interesting in writing and has also uh, ended up being kind of practically helpful uh, in terms of thinking about characters and thinking about like how characters make decisions and uh, and how that drives the story, uh, the various factors that kind of impact our decisions. Having to really pray with that and reflect on that through uh, so much of my formation uh, in the Ignatian world, I, I think has helped, uh, has helped me become a better writer because I think I, I can kind of understand how people's brains work a bit better and how, uh, uh, those there's, there's complicated levels of like, you know, I want to do this and it makes me happy, but maybe it's not good for me. And all those different uh, nuances that we have to really dig into in Ignatian spirituality.
0: Yeah. I love that. So essentially like you put each of your characters through a discernment of spirits in some ways. Right. And, yeah. and that's, that's great. Um, so let's get into it. Let's talk about the story. So maybe you sure. can give us a high level, um, overview of, of the story, uh, that, that you, uh, that, you, that you've, that you've put together for us.
2: Sure. Uh, so the story takes place during Ignatius's uh, pilgrimage to Jerusalem uh, after he's he's spent his time at Manresa and uh, had his, his really powerful uh, experience with God there, started to write the spiritual exercises. Um, and it's that point in his life where, where he thinks he's figured out what God wants him to do. And it's to go to Jerusalem and he's going to live there for the rest of his life and he's going to convert everybody. Uh, and and that's it. That's that's the goal. Um and so he goes on this pilgrimage, and as it approaches the end of the time, um, he goes to the Franciscans who are kind of in charge of the pilgrims there, and says, "Hey, just to let you know, I'm going to be staying. Uh, you guys don't need to put me up or anything. I'll, I'll find my own way. It's all good." Um, and and historically, what happens is is the provincial sits him down and says, "Like, listen, this isn't going to work. Like, there's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of issues with that." Um, and, uh, and he does eventually, you know, get on the boat and goes back to Europe. And what um, what, what we do in this story is, uh, it's from the point of view of the provincial. Um, so instead of Ignatius kind of being the hero, Ignatius is the impediment in a lot of ways, uh, because the provincial has a job to do. Uh, he is a man of faith. He is a man who, who you know, has uh, is drawing a lot of purpose and and meaning in his relationship with God from being in the Holy Land. Uh, but he's also like, you know, every other week there's a pilgrim showing up saying, God has told me that I'm going to stay here for the rest of my life. Don't worry about it. I'm going to go figure it out. Uh, and And he's the guy who has to kind of like, you know, make sure that they're OK and keep the lights on. Uh, essentially, of this of this operation in the Holy Land. Um, so it's it's kind of about the um, in, in a sense, the tension between the two, uh, but also them both learning something from each other. Um, and this is a, a a period Ignatius's life that I, I've always found very interesting, and I've brought up my students a number of times because uh, it's, uh, going back to the idea of discernment, this is a time where he is so sure that he knows what God wants him to do. And he's got the best of intentions, but he doesn't quite get it right. And somebody else needs to kind of step in and be like, ah, maybe, maybe something else. Maybe you want to go over here, uh, which is what leads him to, you know, eventually meeting the first companion, starting the Jesuits, and and us oh. being here today.
0: Uh, so, so I find that all really interesting. Yeah, no, I, I I love the moment that you chose for Ignatius's life. Um, because I think one of the things, you know, in this, as I was reading the story, you know, we have the benefit of so much in our faith, right? We have the benefit of hindsight. We know it's going to work out. We can say, oh, well, you know, good thing you didn't go to Jerusalem because then, you know, the companions in the society and Ignatius spirituality and, you know, we're here today talking about it. Um, but uh, but I think that your story is so successful in dropping us into the um, the mindset of the of the of the Franciscan, uh, and and I would love to hear more of how you approached kind of unpacking this because you know here's a guy who has to essentially say no you you heard God wrong, uh, and 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 he has to hear that again and again and again or or say that again and again and again to different pilgrims, um, so. Tell me why why the character of the friar? why Why was this the the person you wanted to write about, and what did you learn in the process? Sure. Uh, something that I I've, I've found very, very interesting and very uh, resonant uh,
2: ever since I started doing ministry professionally um, was this idea of of kind of the tension between um, what you might call the prophetic and the practical. Uh, and that, you know, I've, I've kind of been on both sides of this. I've been the, uh, the, the kid who walks away from retreat, having had a life-changing experience, and I have a lot of ideas and a lot of passion, and I'm going to go pester my campus ministers about all these great things we should be doing. Um, and now I'm also, you know, the campus minister who has to run eight of these ret- retreats a year and make sure that all the forums get in on time and like, can't necessarily kind of change up the whole program because, uh, you know, one person had a life-changing experience. Um, and, and where's that, you know, what's, what's the tension there, uh, that, that it's not necessarily that one person is right and the other person is wrong. Um, it's, you know, it's the Martha and Mary thing. It's the idea of, you know, this practical work has a role in our faith and in the church, uh, but certainly so does this prophetic witness and this zeal. Uh, so where do those things meet and how do you kind of find, uh, and listen to God's voice, uh, in the, in the interplay between those two things. Um, and so for, uh, for the provincial, I'm, I'm, Definitely drawing a lot, both from my own experiences of of having to, uh, you know, become a professional minister and having to be the voice of reason often, and you know, having to, you know, essentially calm down uh, uh, students when they're they're feeling very excited after a service trip or, or a retreat, while also trying to walk that line of not. You know, dousing the flame because you want them to be on fire, you want them to be excited and to go out and to change things. Uh, but then you also, at the end of the day, are the one who has to like submit the budgets and <laughs> uh, kind of dot all the all the eyes, um, and and finding that middle road there. So I, I drew a lot from that, uh, and also on the other side, thinking about the adults who who worked with me when I was younger uh, and and more uh, more kind of blue sky and more zealous and um, their patience with me and the way that they, you know, didn't shut me down but helped to kind of redirect me um, and and to listen more closely to, you know, what God was calling me to do with this passion. Um, and so, trying to to get into the head of this guy who who is doing that, um, while also, I think, you know, when when I originally sat down to write this story, um, my thought process was like, okay, Ignatius is the one who changes here. Ignatius is the one who Um, you know, has this experience and realizes, oh, okay, there's something else that I need to do. Um, And I didn't have quite as much of that for the provincial. And in the course of writing the story, it it, kind of, you know, (laughs) grew very organically that he was responding to Ignatius as well. And that Ignatius' zeal was kind of reminding him of something uh, that maybe he had forgotten, that he had had lost track of. Um, So that Ignatius kind of learns a bit about you know, how to, to temper his zeal with practicality. Uh, but the very pragmatic provincial is also realizing like, well, you know, what, what, what is the point of all of this? If it's just the paperwork and the job, like there has to be this, uh, this radical experience of God, there has to be this joy and this passion. Um, so, so that, uh, that experience of them both learning something was, was kind of a surprise for me and, and, I think taught me something too, as I'm thinking about, uh, it's, it's very easy, I think as a campus minister to get bogged down in answering the emails and tallying the service hours and making sure the buses are showing up on time and, uh, you can, you know, if, if if you're not careful, you can go a whole day without even thinking about God, uh, except in the abstract. Uh, and so reminding me like, no, the, the purpose of this is, is an encounter with God. It's to help my students, uh, you know, facilitate that encounter between them and God, uh, hopefully for them to walk away, knowing that they're loved uh, and loved, you know, boundlessly. And then I should be uh, taking something from that, too. That should be inspiring me as well. Uh, it shouldn't just be, uh, it should just be be checking the boxes. It should be something that, that is a source of passion and joy. Uh, so so nice to be reminded of that.
0: Yeah, I, I think the the one scene that really um, captured me was was when uh, you know Ignatius says you know he was he wanted to see which direction um, Jesus's feet faced right on top of the the mountain, and 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 the dialogue between the provincial and the other Franciscan, this kind of his like assistant, right? Um, that that they had that neither of them had either had ever realized that, but but in some ways it, it was that uh, the assistant to the provincial that was also in the care of the provincial that you know that they, they kind of had the excuse to kind of not excuse, but, but drift away from this kind of constant, um, being in awe of, of, of his surroundings. And and so I, I, you know, that, that, that conversation to me was like, oh yeah, like everyone, it's not just like the, the prophetic pilgrims, but everyone around us is, is, is part of this experience and we want to keep them on fire. And again, I'm sure for you, as you've said, you know, you have students, you know, of all stripes, I'm sure, you know, when it comes to spiritual life, um. But that that dialogue was really, I think, the most powerful, uh, powerful for me. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about how you went about um, uh, depicting Ignatius. How did you get in the um, the mind of Ignatius? How did you want to depict him um, in this uh, in this story? Yeah, yeah sure. Uh, I definitely, uh, you know, reread. Uh...
2: Both the, the relevant chapter in the autobiography, but went back a little bit and was trying to look at, you know, how is he describing himself leading up to this? Uh, you know, how does he describe himself uh, after his vision at the River Cardinet? Uh, and, and trying to get into his head, um, you know, drawing from uh, again some experiences of like, you know, what it's like to walk away from a retreat with a retreat high. But also, you know, not not wanting to, to go overboard and taking a 21st century experience and applying it to uh, to to this guy, who uh, obviously lived in a, a very different time and kind of cultural context. Um, I, I think the most important thing for me with Ignatius is that I wanted you to be able to sympathize with the provincial, uh, to not kind of immediately go like, "How's this guy's problem? Why is he standing Ignatius's way?" But for Ignatius to also be taken seriously, I didn't want him to to just come across as like you know this this goofball um who who was too overzealous and and had completely unrealistic plans um, and so kind of looking at at the way that he describes himself and thinking about you know the the tone in his writing the the tone in the spiritual exercises, um, the way he approaches things, I really tried to make him. Uh, very humble and very self-aware while also not sacrificing his passion, uh, which I, I think is a good, a good uh, summation of Ignatius at this point uh, where, where he is, you know, very much on fire, but he's also done a lot of, you know, work thinking about himself. He, uh, you know, he, he's gone through something pretty uh, enormous. He's kind of lived uh, in, in many ways a completely different life before this. Um, he's, he's probably used to, you know, looking at himself and saying, "Hmm, am making this decision for the right for the right reasons?" Uh, so he's not necessarily going into this blind and just completely, you know, worked up, uh, completely emotional. Um, and that he's very humble. He's not going in and saying, "Like, you got to listen to me. I heard from God, and God told me this. And you don't know what you're talking about." Uh, but that he has that that kind of inherent um, that inherent humility and that inherent kind of uh, respect for the other people who he is engaging with. And even when he disagrees with the provincial, even when he kind of pushes back on things, uh, his reason is always like, listen, I understand that you have a job to do. I I appreciate you're trying to do the best for me, but this is what I heard God say. And I got to follow God. I mean, isn't that what we're all here for is is to follow God's word? and, and setting, and, you know, setting that up in some ways with the provincial kind of anticipating responses from him sometimes, where he's expecting him to like you know start flipping the table and uh, say, "Do you know who my father is?" Uh, and, um, and instead to to subvert that, and you know, I think I think get at you know the uh, the humility that that I I imagine Ignatius had, and I think comes across in his letters and in his writings. Um, So that was really important to me. I want you to be able to sympathize with both of them, um, even if, you know, ultimately uh, uh, the the provincial gets his way uh, to understand where they're both coming from.
0: Do you think you walked away from this project with any new insight into Ignatius or into his story or Ignatian spirituality writ large?
2: I think uh it, it was it was very interesting to have to engage with Ignatius as a character uh in in a lot of ways and having to uh to put myself in his head uh the way I do with my other characters um because Ignatius is somebody I think about a lot is he's, he's very much an inspiration somebody I pray to um, or pray for his intercession I should say um, and uh but this was very different and and especially trying to uh look at him at this point in his life where he's not you know he's, he's still an ego he's not even Saint Ignatius uh, and finding that balance of I think a concern for me was like am I being disrespectful you know to a literal saint uh, if I kind of portray him as as a little immature as a little like you know still trying to figure things out in this moment and I think what I walked away more from was was no this this is uh in a lot of ways I think I think really being respectful of his humanity and and realizing that, you know, like me, like all of us, um, he was somebody who, who didn't get it right the first time or even the 12th time. Uh, he had to really kind of, you know, work things out and, and wrestle with what God was was kind of leading him to. Um, and and I felt like I walked away with a, it, it sounds kind of funny, but like a, a deeper sense of sympathy for him and looking at where he ended up and, and thinking about how difficult you know this this change must have been for him, but also how well it speaks to him that he was able to make it and to say, you know what, you're not, you're right, this isn't where I'm supposed to be. I got to go figure something else out. Um, uh, yeah, I think it it really kind of deepens some of my appreciation
0: for him. It really makes me think of the. Uh... Uh, the Ignatian year f- phrase, right? The, the to see all things new in Christ, and how um, you, you know, like this, 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 this exercise, you know, and, and now you're sharing with us, uh, you know, helps us to see um, Ignatius new. But in seeing Ignatius anew, you know, we're, we're able to see again building that empathy that you that you've described. You know, um, all things new. You know, as we as we kind of deepen our prayer. Um, last question. I, I wonder if you have any uh, books right now, both, I mean, one fiction and one an Ignatian spirituality that uh, you're finding particularly inspiring or, uh, or that you, everybody could read.
2: Sure, sure. Uh, on the Ignatian spirituality end, uh, when, when, I, when I saw that question ahead of time, uh, the, the first book that came to mind was Dean Brackley's The Call to Discernment in Troubled Times. Uh, which I read back in. Classic. Yeah, it is a classic. It's a great book. Uh, I read it I, over maybe seven years ago now. It's it's a while since I read it, uh, and I feel like the the message of it just kind of keeps getting more relevant. Um, this uh, where he's he's taking the themes and the spiritual exercises and really applying them to what does it mean to live in uh, a world with with rampant and ever present injustice? What does it mean to uh, to really try to practice? Uh, Ignition spirituality in a world where we are, you know, bound up in these, these systems and structures. Uh, and, and I really, I, I, gained a lot from it. I think it's very practical. I think it's very accessible, uh, while also being very inspirational. I think he, he has this beautiful, uh, view of, of God and how God acts in the world and especially Christ's identification with the poor. Um, and what that means for us and how we can be in solidarity with one another and how God is in solidarity with us. Uh, so I would definitely recommend that. I think that's a, a wonderful book. Um, you could really like kind of space that one out too. It's it's a relatively quick read, but like each chapter is very self-contained. So like you can like, take some time to digest it. So for a fiction book, uh, another book I read uh, quite a while ago, but returned to a lot um, is Michael Chabon's, uh, the adventures of Cavalier and clay, uh, which is, have you, have you read that one? Are you familiar with that one? No, I'm not. I don't know. I uh, that's heard. it's, it's wonderful. Uh, it's, Really about the uh, the history of American superhero comics, uh, in a sense, uh, through the fictional story of these two cousins. Um, they're they're kind of loosely based on um, the two guys who created Superman, who were uh, Jewish immigrants, uh, and kind of created Superman. Uh, during kind of the, the rise of the nazi party uh the the beginning of World War two a lot of kind of what goes into the early superhero stuff is very much them uh processing kind of these atrocities that are happening um uh, across the ocean to their brothers and sisters um and uh, that's that's kind of baked into the pie of, of a lot of the early superhero stuff and so this is uh a, a story where it follows these two uh these two guys one lives in America already the other uh um grows up, I believe, in Poland uh, and comes over shortly after the Nazis invade to uh, he's the only member of his family who gets out. And together, they kind of realize that uh, they have this kind of great storytelling instinct. So they create this superhero uh, that becomes a huge sensation and it follows them through the decades as uh, as that character kind of expands and, you know, American uh, society changes and their own role in society changes. And it's it, it. deals with a lot of different issues uh, certainly on the on the creative end uh, what it means to kind of take uh, to take trauma and to take your experiences and to process them through mm-hmm. fiction um, and what does you know the American superhero kind of mean in our collective imagination um, but also you know what what is the uh, the American story for various marginalized populations uh, one of the characters is uh, is a gay man at that time who is you know he has a a really, you know, there's a, a wonderful, um, romance between him and another character that has to be completely secret. Um, both of them as, as Jewish men in society at that time, the discrimination that they face, uh, it's, it's a wonderful book. Uh, it's takes, uh, it mostly focuses on their point of views, but we'll jump into others. It's a, a deeply empathetic book. Uh, really like everybody, even like at some point you, you see the perspective of, uh, um this kind of white supremacist who's who's obsessed with their work and even that uh you know you're not on his side but it presents him as a human being and it presents him as as uh, everybody in there is a person nobody is a caricature or just a kind of uh you know a cartoon character ironically for a book about comic books um and that is i would say one of the best books i've ever read uh i think that uh that anybody could read that and both learn something uh interesting about about our our society and our culture uh and superhero comics which i love uh but also walk away with maybe a deeper sense of of uh, empathy for for others and kind of the the weight that both our, our ancestors and uh, and people in today's society have to carry
0: i think um i mean this is kind of the theme of everything you said but bringing it together with this example um you know creating empathy for people and not creating caricatures i think is a great uh a great goal of all of all good art but also um a great thing for us to uh to to, to, to leave our conversation on so um so john thank you so much for uh, uh for for talking to us and for your work um and i hope everyone is super excited to read your uh, your piece
2: great thank you very much i really appreciate you take the time <laughs>
0: DG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States and recorded at our headquarters in Washington, DC. The show is edited by Marcus Bleach, and our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference communications team is Marcus Bleach, Mike Jordan Lasky, Megan Leepsch, Becky Sindalar, and me, Eric Clayton. Connect with the Jesuits online at Jesuits.org. On Twitter, at@, at Jesuitnews, on Instagram, at we Are the Jesuits and at Facebook, facebook.com slash Jesuits. Sign up for weekly email reflections by visiting Jesuits.org slash weekly. If you or someone you know might be called to discern a vocation to the Jesuits, connect with a Jesuit vocation promoter at BeAJesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at Jesuits.org. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And, as St. Ignatius of Loyola may or may not have said, go and set the world on fire.